Well, if you would, take your Bible once again, open it up to the Gospel of John, chapter 17. John, chapter 17. I want to begin with verse 6. Now, if I could, and read down through verse 17. This morning I want to want to speak on the victorious salvation. The victorious salvation that is anchored in eternal love. The victorious salvation that is anchored in eternal love. John chapter 17, verse 6 and following. You follow along if you would in your Bible. We read this just a few moments ago. And my, what a joy it is to be able to read it again. Verse 6. Jesus, as He prays to the Father, says, I have manifested Thy name unto the men which You gave Me out of the world. Thine they were, and You gave them to Me. And they have kept Thy word. Now they have known that all things, whatever You have given Me, are of thee. For I have given unto them the words which you gave me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came out from thee, and have believed that you did send me. I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which you have given me, for they are thine. And all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father, keep through your own name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those that you gave me I have kept, and none of them is lost, but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled." And now I come to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that you would take them out of the world, but that you would keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them. Through your truth, your word is truth. Well, I I would ask you that you might bow with me again once more in prayer as we ask God to grant his blessing upon the time we spend together for these next few minutes considering his word. Would you bow with me in prayer? Our Father... I sense in my own heart not only an unworthiness but an inadequacy, Lord, for the task that lays before me. Lord, I'm insufficient for these things. I realize that. But then, Lord, I also know that even as the Scripture says, my sufficiency is of the Lord. And I trust that you would grant great grace this morning, Lord, in enabling me to speak that which you placed upon my heart. I desire to speak, Father, 
in demonstration of your spirit and of your power. I pray that you might enable me to speak, Father, in such a way that your word would be heard with the heart and that it might be heard, Lord, in such a way that it would work effectually in each heart and in each life. Oh, Father, we so desperately need to hear you speak. So speak to us, Lord. Speak to us through your word by the power of your spirit. Lord, grant us great grace to hear. And Father, grant us great grace to respond in such a way that your word would work greatly to accomplish your purpose in each of our hearts and lives. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for this time and the opportunity to open your word together. All of this again, Lord, we ask in the name of Christ, our Savior. Amen. Well, last Sunday, some of you will recall, I hope, that I preached uh, from Hebrews chapter 10 and verse, primarily verse 23. Why don't you turn back there with me again for just a moment, would you? Let's go back to Hebrews again for just a little bit. Book of Hebrews. We'll go back where we were last week. Hebrews chapter 10. Now I want to do this, and, and I want to, if I could, take a few minutes this morning uh, to review just a little bit of what we considered last week, because I would really, I really kind of want to reinforce what we considered last week with the message this morning uh, to reinforce it and perhaps even build upon what we considered last week with what the Lord has laid upon my heart this morning. And I know that there were some of you uh, who were not here last week. And uh, so uh, for that reason, as well as perhaps just a, a refresher for the rest of us, I'd like for us to do just a little bit of review this morning before we go on to consider what the Lord has placed upon my heart from John chapter 17. So look with me in Hebrews chapter 10, primarily in verse 23, where uh, my text was last week, where the apostle here says, Let us, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. And if you recall, uh, that basically was... The, uh, the text for my message, and uh, the title of my message was Get a Good Grip on It. Get a Good Grip on It, because that's basically, I believe, what the Apostle was telling us here when he says, tells us to, uh, to get a, to, to, uh, to get a hold, hold fast to the profession of our faith. It's to get a good grip on it. Uh, Faith is such an essential thing to the Christian life, is it not? Uh, what, what would we be as professing Christians if we didn't have faith? <laughs> we wouldn't be Christians at all, would we? Uh, faith is an absolute essential in the Christian life. As a matter of fact, if we were to go back or turn on over to Hebrews, the 11th chapter, and the, the 6th verse, we would find there that the writer in Hebrews would say that without faith, it is impossible to please God. Impossible to please God without faith. 
Faith is an absolute essential. And so we find the apostle here telling us that we need to lay hold fast to the profession of our faith without wavering. Without wavering. Uh, And oh, how thankful we need to be for that next part of the verse which says, for he is faithful to promise. Uh, The Lord knows our weakness, doesn't he? He knows how frail we are. Uh, he, He knows that there's not even a solitary one of us that's able to really hold on to what he's given us as we ought to. Uh, Not a one of us. And so he's faithful. He's faithful to do for us what we, none of us, are able to do for ourselves and how thankful we are for that. And, And that's true of every part of our salvation, isn't it? Salvation is of the Lord beginning to end. And the faith that we exercise in this life we call the Christian life it is not really our faith, is it? It's, it's the gift of God from beginning to end. As a matter of fact, uh, in regeneration, when the Spirit of God moves, uh, comes down and touches the heart and life of one who is dead to God, quickens them, makes them alive in that which we refer to as regeneration or the new birth, being born again. Uh, One of the first things that the Spirit of God does is He plants in the heart saving faith. It's the gift of God, isn't it? Ephesians 2.8, a very familiar verse that uh, most of us who are Christians have come to be acquainted with, tells us, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And so saving faith is the gift of God. Uh, God gives us faith to enable us to lay hold of Christ and to trust Him for our salvation. And thereafter, the faith that we exercise, by the way, we are to live by faith, aren't we? Uh, once we become a child of God by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we're to live by faith. Time and again, the Apostle Paul uh, tells us that we're to live by faith, quoting the prophet Habakkuk. We're to live by faith. We're to walk by faith and not by sight. Uh, And so thereafter, uh, this faith that we so desperately need that is so essential to the Christian life, where do we get it? How do we come by it? Well, Paul tells us in Romans chapter 10 that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Romans chapter 10 and verse 17. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Uh, And so as we look back at where my text was last week in Hebrews chapter 10, where he tells us that we are to lay, let us hold fast the profession of our faith. Then he goes on to tell us in verse 24 and 25, that let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Then he says in verse 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Uh, if you recall last week, I, I, I said that Calvin, John Calvin told us that the, the original words from which we get not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together means much more than just not or forsaking getting together for a time of fellowship like so many think of it today. It's, uh, it's much more than that, he says. It's, it's the idea 
of coming together, coming together for the express purpose of worshiping God around the Word of God, considering what God has to say and worshiping God based upon what God would say through His Word. And when we read Romans chapter 10 and verse 17, that says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God, we need to understand that the context in which we find that tells us that it is found within... Well, let's look at it. Romans chapter 10, verse 17. Donna, would you mind stepping in there and getting me a little bit of water, please? Romans chapter 10, verse 17. If you look at verse 17, it says, so, faith, so then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. But if you look even at the verse just before that, verse 16, says, but they have not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah said, Lord, who hath believed our report? That's what the King James says. But literally, the words in the original Greek says, uh, for Isaiah says, Lord, who hath believed the hearing of our preaching? Who hath believed the hearing of our preaching? And look even at the verses previous to that. Thank you, Donna. Who hath believed the hearing of our preaching? And so the, the, the faith that comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. The Apostle is talking about faith comes by hearing the Word of God proclaimed the preaching of God's Word. And that's exactly what is meant back here in Hebrews chapter 10 where it talks about not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, not forsaking the coming together for worshiping around the the preaching of God's Word. Uh, it's there that we grow in faith and our faith is increased when we sit under the preaching of God's Word and the teaching of God's Word. Not that you can't have your faith increased, as I said last week, by sitting down in your home and opening up God's Word and reading the Word of God, uh, but nothing like what can happen when you sit with God's people in 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 fellowship around the preaching and the teaching of God's Word when someone who has been called of God and, and, and equipped by the Lord to proclaim and teach God's Word uh, is preaching His Word and you're sitting under the ministry of God's Word uh, like that. That's the way faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Uh, and so that's where we're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is. And Calvin went on to say that forsaking that is actually the doorway to apostasy. The doorway to apostasy, which is the, the forsaking of uh, the profession of our faith. You see, the profession of our faith is not actually uh, necessarily genuine saving faith at all, is it? Just because we profess something doesn't mean we really have the real thing. So we need to be careful. We need to be sure that, that what we have is genuine and that it's real. And uh, John tells us uh, 
that uh, that there are those who seem to be a part of us for a while, and yet they depart and, and leave. He says they went out from us because they were not of us. Uh, so we need to be careful, don't we? Uh, we must always remember that the, the believer, the Christian, the genuine believer lives by faith. And it's by the faith of the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. And that, I believe, is the reason for what we have in the parentheses at the end of Hebrews chapter uh, 10 and verse 23, where it says uh, that... Uh, uh, he is faithful that promised. He is faithful that promised. Uh, my, how grateful we should be for his faithfulness because it's his faith that we depend upon and it's his faith that we rely upon uh, in order that we might be what God would have us to be. And it's this that brings me to our subject here this morning in John chapter 17, verses 6 through 17. Uh, God's faithfulness to keep his promise to save those he set his love upon in eternity past. Now I want to make something, if I could this morning, very clear as we begin to consider what Christ prayed in John chapter 17. Uh, if you recall, uh, last week I said there's a great danger. There are several dangers, actually. I pointed out one of the dangers that, uh, that arises when uh, we forsake the assembling of ourselves together, as a manner of some is, one of the great dangers is that of conforming to the world, danger of conformity to the world. Uh, well, uh, in John chapter 17, I think that we learn that the only thing that will counter or the only thing that will prevent or triumph over conformity to the world is our faithful Father's promise to conform us to the image or the likeness of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, that's the only thing that will give us victory over uh, the danger of being conformed to the world. Uh, and if you uh, take note right before uh, this prayer here in John chapter 17, Jesus was speaking to his disciples. If you'd care to look at the end of chapter 16 of the Gospel according to John, the very last verse, listen to what Jesus tells his disciples. Verse seven, chapter 17, verse 1 begins with these words, I think. King James says, These words spoke Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven. In the ESV, it's a little clearer. It says, when Jesus had spoken these words, well, it's talking about the words at the end of, verse, of chapter 16, where it says, these things I have spoken unto you that, I, that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Jesus has overcome the world. He has overcome the world. And it's in our being conformed to the likeness of Christ and being united to Him that we find our victory in overcoming the world as well, isn't it? In 1 John chapter 5 and verse 4, uh, John tells us, Whosoever is born of God 
overcomes the world. Now what is that? Whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Being born of God unites us to the Lord Jesus Christ, does it not? Being united to the Lord Jesus Christ assures us of being victorious over the world. Uniting to Him and being conformed to His image gives us victory over the world. Well, the entire prayer of our Savior, the Lord Jesus, here in John chapter 17, is worthy of thoughtful, prayerful uh, exposition. There's so much here. So much here. I, Donna came up to my study last night as I was uh, studying and going over this, and, and so many times I just sat there shaking my head, thinking about all that was there. She came up there, and, and I told her, I said, there's just so much, I, I don't know. I said, it's almost like uh, getting on a, 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 a horse and, uh, and a powerful horse and the horse getting the bit in its teeth and just taking off and running and, and, and you, with the reins, you're just unable to, to get him to slow down, to get him to stop, and there's just no way to get off even. Uh, and that's kind of the way it is with this passage of Scripture here. I found myself just, there's just no place to get off. There's just no place to stop. There's so much here. Uh, and, uh, and so God willing, uh, uh, I, I was thinking Justin or I, one, uh, need to <laughs> consider doing a careful study of this entire chapter uh, with with you sometime, and I, I would hope that the Lord would move in Justin's heart to perhaps sometime in the near future, maybe lead this body of believers here through John chapter 17. There is just so much here that I think would be beneficial to all of us. The Lord Jesus covers so much in one chapter. It's so so amazing and so instructive for all of us. So you you pray with me to that end that perhaps the Lord would move in Justin's heart to to uh, consider John chapter 17 somewhere down the road before too long in uh, in in preaching and teaching uh, the Word of God. Well, God willing, uh, the Lord will lead. In that direction. But this morning, uh, we want to look primarily at verse 6 and verse 17 of John chapter 17. Uh, Not that I necessarily want to ignore those verses in between, because I do want to point out just uh, a few things, but, uh, and we're only going to have time to just maybe glance at verse 6 and verse 17, because. Time will get away from us real quickly here this morning. But I will mention a couple of important points found in these other verses before we really look at verse 6 and verse 17. So if you would, look with me at verse 9 to begin with. Verse 9, where Jesus said, I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. Uh, Here in verse 9, Jesus makes it very clear who he's praying for and who he is not 
praying for, doesn't he? Very clear who he's praying for. He's praying for those that the Father gave him in eternity past. Those that the Father gave him. That's who he's praying for. And he's not praying for anyone else. Uh, Why is that? It's because they belong to him. They belong to him. Verse 10. uh, All mine are thine and thine are mine and I am glorified in them, he says. Uh, He's glorified in them because he saved them and, and they've glorified him by confessing him as their Lord. And the one who has redeemed them and saved them by shedding his blood for them. And and they glorified him by confessing him as their Savior and their Lord. And so he prays for them. He prays for them and for them alone. And then verses 11 through 16, and my, that's that's a number of verses, isn't it? But quickly, Jesus acknowledges to the Father that though he is no longer in the world, in these verses, he says those that he's praying for are in the world. And, and that's you and I. We are in the world, aren't we? <laughs> My. And what we're dealing with, because we are. Every day, what we're dealing with, what we're facing. Uh, and Christ is praying for us. How thankful we are for that. Uh, because we are in the world. And he asks that the Father keep or protect those that he gave to him and that he not only protect but that he create a unity among those that the father gave him a unity like that unity that he has had with the father uh, you remember the psalmist said in psalm 133 he said how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity that's what Jesus was asking the Father to create, you know, among those that he prayed for. Uh, Unity, oneness, uh, and oh, how desperately that's needed today. There's such division, such separation, it seems, uh, among those who profess to be God's children. Oh, how thankful we are that Jesus is praying that the Father would create a unity Uh, among his children. And then he asks that they might have joy, but not just any joy. Did you notice that? Look at verse 13. Verse 13. And now come I to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. He prays that those he's praying for He asked the Father that those he's praying for might have his joy in full measure in them. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the full measure of Christ's joy? That's what he prays for. And he's praying that for you and I. And then look at verse 14. Verse 14. He knows that the world hates those he's praying for. And he knows that They're living in a world that's in the power of the evil one. In the power of the evil one. And so he prays in verse 15. 
that his father would keep him from the evil. Oh, and in light, in light of what Justin has been preaching from Ephesians chapter 6, it's so important for us to consider this, isn't it? So important for us to consider this, that Jesus is actually right now interceding. Even as he did in this prayer recorded in John chapter 17, he continues at the Father's right hand to intercede and to pray that we be kept from the power of the evil one. How grateful we should be. How humbled we should be that our Lord prays that for us. Very quickly now, verse 6. Verse 6. Verse 6 tells us four things about Christ's followers and those who were his disciples. In the first place, they were gods. They were gods. They did belong to the Father. All right? Secondly, God gave them to his Son, the Lord Jesus. In the third place, Jesus has revealed or made known God's name or who he is to those that the Father gave him. And then the fourth place, they have kept or obeyed his word. Now it's important, I think, to note that these same four things are repeated in the in the experience of everyone who ever comes to Christ. The same four things are repeated. When you came to Christ, you can expect these same four things to be found or to be seen in your life. And so can I. First of all, let's look at it. As Jesus said, in the first place, we once belonged to God as did and as does everything that has been created. Stop and think about it. There was a time when we all belonged to God as does everything that God created. We can't question that, can we? In the beginning, God created everything. He didn't get any help to do it. We didn't want to help him. He didn't borrow any material from anybody because there wasn't any. He spoke everything into existence out of nothing. And what he created belonged to him. And that included everything. Everything. And what he created, he had the right to do with it as he pleased. 
and still does. And still does. Need to give some thought to that. Oh, there are those who talk about God not being fair because of what He does in someone's life and doesn't do in someone else's. <coughs> Paul answers that in Romans when he says, Doesn't the potter have a right to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor if he wants to? Potter can make one vessel for good use, another for bad use. He can do whatever he wants to, can he? So can God. Because it all belongs to him. Well, there was a time when we all belonged to God in that sense. But in addition to this general possession by God of all things, there is a possession much more specific than that. It's the possession of an elect people, chosen to be a holy people, a people delivered and set free from slavery to sin and adopted into His family. My. That's, that's a little different kind of being belonging to Him, isn't it? Some of you are quite familiar with Ephesians chapter 1, beginning with verse 3. But let's look at it again. I never tire of reading this. Ephesians chapter 1, beginning with verse 3, going down through verse, verse 7. Listen to this. The Apostle Paul writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as He has chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will to the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved, in whom he, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace. Aye. That's a different kind of possession, isn't it? That's a different kind of belonging to Him. Oh, we're a purchased possession, aren't we? A purchased possession. We belong to Him. We belong to Him. My goodness. And these, by the way, God has predestined and promised to conform to the likeness of His Son, hadn't He? Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verse 28 through 30. Romans 8:28 Oh it says and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God to those who are the called according to his purpose for whom he did foreknow he did also predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren 
Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. Whom he called, he also justified. And whom he justified, he also glorified. My goodness. My goodness. Chosen to be his in eternity past. Did everything that was necessary to make it so too, didn't he? To make it so. And so in the first place, in the first place, we belong to him. We belong to him. Secondly, Jesus repeatedly spoke of those that the Father has given him. Those that the Father has given to him. Back in the sixth chapter of John is one example of the many, many times that Jesus spoke of those that the Father gave him. Listen to what Jesus said in John chapter 6, beginning with verse 37. He said, All that the Father gives me shall come to me, and him that comes to me I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven to do my not, not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which has sent me, that of all which he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. And Jesus knew that none would come to him but those given to him by the Father. Look at verse 44. No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Now look at verse 65 of John 6. And he said, Therefore said I unto you that no man can come to me except it were given unto him by my Father. So secondly, Jesus speaks of those that were given him by the Father. And thirdly, thirdly, where it said that Jesus had revealed or made known God's name or who he is to them, there were undoubtedly many names, theologically speaking, that Jesus used to describe or teach the attributes of God. Oh, but listen. Listen. But the unique name of God used most often by Jesus when addressing God was Father. Father. Did you ever stop and think about that? The unique name that... Jesus used most often when addressing God was Father. My Father. My Father. James Montgomery Boyce wrote this. He said, Prior to Jesus, no Israelite ever addressed God directly as my Father. Yet this is what Jesus does always. He always called God Father. And this undoubtedly impressed itself upon the disciples to such a degree that they preserved it in their records of Christ's speech and prayers. 
Thus, not only do all four Gospels record that Jesus used this address, they also report that he did so in all his prayers. We have an example of that right here in John chapter 17, don't we? Verse 5 of John 17. We see it. And now, O Father, glorify Thou me with Thy own self, with the glory which I had with Thee before the world was. We see it in verse 11. And now I come, and now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world, I, and I come to Thee, Holy Father. We see it in verse 21. That they may all be one as Thou, Father, art in me, and I in Thee. We see it in verse 24 and 25. Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me. For thou hast loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world hath not known thee, but I have known thee, and these have known that thou hast sent me. The only exception, the only exception in all of Jesus' praying to this is that is the one that actually enforces the importance of this title Boyce says and what is it it's the cry from the cross found in Matthew 27 and in Mark 15 my God my God why hast thou forsaken me the only exception to all of Jesus praying it is not my Father. But here it's my God. My God. Why have you forsaken me? It was pronounced here that Jesus realized that he was facing the judgment and the wrath of God because of what? Because our sin. All of our sin was placed upon him. And he was dying in our place. Shedding his blood to pay the price for our sin. Suffering the curse of God on behalf of sinners. And all of the fellowship that he enjoyed with the Father... All his life was broken. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Well, Jesus taught his disciples to call God their Father, didn't he? And so we pray, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. What a comfort to know that he's our heavenly father. What a comfort. Well, in the fourth place, in the fourth place, Jesus said, they have kept thy word. They have kept thy word. Well, the disciples of the Lord Jesus Keep or obey the word of the Lord, don't they? They keep or obey the word of the Lord. Back in the 8th chapter of John, 
John chapter 8. You've got to look at that with me in verse 31. The last part of that verse says, Jesus said, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. If you continue in my word. And when Jesus said there in John chapter 17, they have kept thy word. That's what he means. It's not just keeping the word, it's continuing in the word. Continuing in the word. Or as James tells us back here in James chapter 1 and verse 22 and following. Some of you are very familiar with what James tells us here. In James chapter 1, verse 22 and following, he says, But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholds himself and goes his way and straightway forgets what manner of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. A doer of the Word of God. Continuing in the Word of God. Now very quickly, very quickly we need to go on down to verse 17. Verse 17. Where Jesus prays, Father, sanctify them through Thy truth. Thy Word is truth. Now, the word sanctify simply means set apart to be holy. Set apart to be holy. Sanctification is the process by which God works in us to conform us to the likeness of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is holy. And so Jesus is praying here that God would do just that. That we be set apart to be holy and that He do such a work in our hearts and lives to conform us to the image of Christ that we would be holy as He is holy. And how does He do this? Through His Word. And by His Word, which is the truth. Which is the truth. And isn't Jesus Himself both the truth and the Word? Is that what he said? John began his gospel how? In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And then verse 14 says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's Jesus. That's Jesus. And in the 14th chapter of John, verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so Jesus is the eternal Word of God. And He is the truth. He is the truth. Oh, do you remember? Do you remember the caution? Do you remember the, wor- the warning that we found in Hebrews? And the danger that we saw in Romans? Chapter 12, of being conformed to the world. 
The only thing that will prevent it is conformity to Christ. Conformity to Christ. And isn't that what Jesus is praying for for us in this passage of Scripture? That God would do such a thing in our hearts and in our lives that we might be able to overcome the world as he overcome the world. He said, in the world you have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And in our union with Christ, we too can be victorious over the world. Salvation. A victorious salvation in Christ over the world and the things of the world. Oh, may God cause us to see what we have in Christ and be thankful, be thankful, and be thankful that he's praying for us even now, even as he prayed, as he prayed this prayer so long ago, as recorded in the 17th chapter of John. There's so much more here. And I know I've rushed and I've hurried and I've skimmed and, and we've just glanced at things this morning. I pray that God will enable us to come back sometime and look much more closely at the things that Jesus prays in the 17th chapter of John. May God help us to take to heart what he says and what's there for us this morning. Let's pray.